If you're enjoying the show so far, please consider helping by supporting our show. Although never expected, any support for our show enables us to keep bringing the audiobook club to your ears. Thank you so much for tuning into the show and welcome to Season 2 of the Audiobook Club with John York. The Audiobook Club, partnered with Pro Audio Voices, celebrates audiobooks, the amazing people and teams who make them happen, as well as the various talents behind storytelling. To learn more about Amplify and other opportunities to grow your sales, platform and audience, head over to ProAudioVoices.com and listen out for a short but informational advertisement within this episode. Let's start the show. Hello and welcome to the Audiobook Club. In this week's episode, we're so lucky to be joined by audiobook narrator Paige Reisenfeld. Paige, it's so lovely to have you join us on the show. How are you today? I am doing well. It's awesome to be here. So <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show. So I know, uh, just like we were saying, uh, just before we started recording, you've been doing a few podcasts recently. So I do really appreciate you taking the time to join this one. Do you do you enjoy the podcast format? Do you like being interviewed? Yes and no. I always feel I like in, I like being interviewed, but I will talk forever. So I always feel like people don't actually like to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> interviews. So it's one of those like, OK, stop talking, Paige, stop talking. Well, still, well, we're very interested to hear what you've got to say don't worry about that so as is tradition on the show and I hope you're not getting bored of this question already I'd love to start by asking how you first began your journey in this you know crazy world of audiobook narration yeah, well, it goes all the way back to kindergarten. You know, I was voted best reader. No, I'm just teasing. But um, I was voted best reader in kindergarten. But the real, like, the real journey, um, I was listening. Um, I did children's theater. I was a classical voice major, and then I did children's theater. And then, you know, the pandemic happened, and there was no theater. So I started delivery driving for Amazon and also them working in their warehouse. And in order to not go insane, I was listening originally to podcasts and then switched to audiobooks. And then I went up and um, to see my dad, who lives about an hour north of me. Um, and we were talking about audiobooks. I don't even know how it came up, but it turned out he and I were listening to the same audiobook, um, something in the Helldivers series narrated by R.C. Bray. And so we got to talking about narrators. And then he was like, you know, I think you would actually be a really great narrator. And I was like, oh, that's a thought. So I looked into it and signed up for training. And here I am. <laughs> That's great. So like, what was it like, uh, like about audiobooks, like as a medium specifically, that kind of captured you as a performer? Like, was there, did, did you take a look as you were listening to these audiobooks, were you kind of sort of maybe even subconsciously thinking, oh, doing all these voices may be really fun. It may be great to be sort of immersed in, you know, storytelling for a living, that kind of thing. Like, what was it about audiobooks that really captured you as a performer? Um, you know, I think it's all of that. You know, as a as a stage performer, you're constantly you're like, this is my part, and this is what I do. And something about audiobooks, when you can play all the parts, you know, is it's, it's basically it's a one woman or one man show, right? And that's what audiobooks are. Just you don't have to look at me while I do it. And then it's a fantastic place to use accents or even to be perhaps not as over the top as like animation voiceover. Which I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to do that too, but. Part of why I love theater so much is the storytelling, is presenting stories to people who might not otherwise be exposed to them or offering a differing point of view. And I feel like books can all kind of can do that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So have, have you always been interested in performing like from that very young age? Like, was, was there anything sort of else on the cards for you as this is really what I want to do? I have trouble with commitment. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So I like I started um, I did ballet for a while and then I did like jazz. I was like, I'm going to dance. I didn't start singing until like they were like loving singing, I should say. It's like, oh, I could do this until I was in like fifth grade, sixth grade. And then I did like drama in high school. And then I was not accepted into a music program for my first time through college. So it kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and then I had an opportunity to sing um, with Eric Whitaker at Carnegie Hall, um, auditioned and I got in and I was like, oh, this is amazing. And there were 400 of us in this choir on stage and it was electric. Like I can't even describe the feeling of being on there. And it wasn't even like 
stage. We were literally just standing there with our music, but just this feeling in the air was so amazing. All these people coming together to sing this story. And I went back to school for music. But like, you know, in there in like fifth grade, sixth grade, I thought for sure I was going to be an architect and interior designer and decorator and own my own firm. And then I realized that's a lot of math and I don't like math. <laughs> like there was astronomy for a while, but again, with the math, like, yeah. Yeah. And I did, I did um, clothing for a while, like cosplay and sewing and that so yeah i just but this one feels right i don't mm. find myself looking for something else after finding audiobooks yeah okay so when you first started narrating those early books like what because once you i mean listening to audiobooks is one thing but then when you get behind the mic and then you you know you go and start narrating one yourself it's a very different process you know very i found it incredibly different to how i thought i would find it you know envisioning that what was like the most challenging thing about narrating audiobooks do you think you you came across when first starting out on those early books? Uh, besides my neighborhood, which is still a problem, um, <laughs> the noise in the neighborhood. Um, sometimes the words don't come out the way you mean them to. And you're like, what did I just say? And then also, because I was editing my stuff first, getting over that um, perfectionism mm -hmm. Thing where like, I know I can say this better. I know I can say this better. I can always say this better. It's never going to be perfect. So having to mm. get past that and be like, it is good and it is good enough. And I don't mean to say good enough by like, oh, fine, it's passable. I mean, like it is, it is good enough. And because there will never be a perfect, you kind of have to move on. And that's very, very hard for me to get past. <laughs> so yeah. still, still. Yeah. That's right. You mentioned perfectionism there. Um, and am I right in saying that you you with corrections, you with pickups, you have very little pickups, if any, on most. And I find this mind blowing because I make, you know, I, I, I don't want to tell you how many pickups that I get, but it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's very far away from none at all. So like, like, I wonder like how, like with your, like, is that a part of being a perfectionist then? You just, you, you proof and proof and proof or you, you know, you make sure that everything is as clean as possible. Um, so I actually don't proof my work anymore. Um, and while I would love to say I've continued that trend, that is not the case. I have gotten like, you know, 20 to 30 pickups back in my last few books. Um, but I do try and be cognizant of what I'm saying. Um, mm. A lot of my pickups are because I have like a tiny, tiny bit of dyslexia where I will switch word order. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying like, we both, or I can't think of something like just around, I'll say around just or something like that. Like, it's yeah. just like the flipping of two words. Um, and yes, I would absolutely fix that if I went back and did it. Yeah. But then, you know, then there are some times where I'm like, I don't know what happened, but yay. So, but it's definitely like looking at it and being like, that's not right. That's not what I said. And having that like I ear juxtaposition is not the word I'm looking for, but it's the only one coming to mind. Being able to realize that I made a mistake yeah. um, is something that I try and do because like doing pickups later is not nearly as fun as being in the moment. Because <laughs> then you're like, where was I? Yeah, absolutely. I always find that I most, like it gets worse. Like the more I get into a book and the more I sort of immerse myself and you get into that state of flow, and I like maybe even subconsciously think I'm nailing this. This is the best read I've done. And then it comes back and I've made way more mistakes. And when I'm when I'm actually just aware of what I'm doing totally, it's kind of strange in that way, I think. Absolutely. I mean, because you're like, you're like, I'm this character. And maybe in this moment, you said minute instead of moment. And maybe the character would, but that's not what the author wrote. And you're <laughs> like, oh, well, okay. It is what it is. I mean, and that's different from stage too, because like, yeah, you flubbed the line on stage, but now you're done and you're past it. Get it right next time. <laughs> yeah. So there's no, there's no going back. No, exactly. One of the one of the joys of, of course, narrating fiction is all of the characters that you come across. Being able to inhabit characters, especially in those books where you get to, you know, be a character for an entire chapter. Um, and I just sort of wonder, I always like to ask this question about character traits, personality traits of characters. What are some of your favorite personality traits that a character can have that you think, oh, this is going to be fun. This is going to be really, this is going to be a good read. Uh, the person who says everything they're thinking, because you I, you rarely find that in real life. So to do that, <laughs> the, the house, as it were, of the book, who's just like, I'm just saying this and, you know, who cares what they think of me? That's always fun because it's yeah. so just out there. 
villains that are like actually kind of like morally gray or have like redemption arcs or maybe they're not really the villain like that kind mm. of that back and forth i love the dichotomy yeah i also like playing opposites and it never I, usually people come back and they're like no that's not right and i'm like darn it like i want the sunshine to have a voice down here talking like this and then like the really grumpy person to have this really high-pitched voice and people are like it doesn't work i'm like i will make it work sometime but <laughs> usually it doesn't work usually they send it back and they're like no no. Yeah. When creating those characters, when like, you know, signing voices and things, where, do, where does that come from for you? Does it, you know, do you have anything that you like to draw upon? Like how much of that is decided just by sort of feel or like, you know, ingrained in the text? You know, how does that sort of process look for you? Um, Definitely text clues. I mean, if they tell me that someone's got a low sultry voice, I obviously can't give them something bubbly and high pitched. But um. A lot of time it is it is just feel and sometimes I'm wrong like my very first book I had I signed stuff during prep and then I flipped their voices when it came out of my mouth when I was recording and I was like well that's just the way it is now these two sound like this and there wasn't anything in the text to say otherwise yeah. but um personality a lot of times the authors have written in a cadence that just kind of clicks mm. in my brain as like this is how it's supposed to sound I was talking with another narrator on a video she was doing where I'm like, don't you hate it when authors wrote in an accent and they didn't tell you? Like, it's just, it's right there. It would be so easily shifted into Southern or something like that because of how they wrote it. So sometimes that, and I'll ask, I'm like, does this person have an accent? Can they have an accent? Because that's how you wrote it or yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. Accents, again, are another huge part of this job. You know, accents come up and, you know, occasionally I know I looked on your website and you have a long list of accents that you're comfortable with. You narrate it. It's really impressive. But when an accent comes across or maybe, you know, back in the day before you added, the, you know, that, that specific one to the list, how did you approach when, when approaching an, a new accent, one that perhaps you're you're not that comfortable with straight away. What does your process look like about getting one down, you know, for a catch with a couple of lines? Like how, like, could you just tell us a little bit about like, you know, the research, the, the sort of practice and things that all go into to getting down a, a new accent? Yeah, um, so a lot of it is just listening. It's ear work, um, a kind of a little bit of, you know, immersion. Like if I want to sound like someone from Downton Abbey, I'm gonna go listen, you know, watch a lot of Downton Abbey because I mimic. And so mm. I will watch something and then I will just start talking like that. Um, mm. I just had to do a Minnesota one. I'm like, well, I guess it's time to binge Fargo. Like, <laughs> I know, and I know that Fargo's not in Minnesota, but still <laughs> that was the sound that like she wanted. But um, in terms of actual like research research, there's um, the International Dialects Archive. I mm. will spend hours on there listening to like different parts of the world. There's the GMU Accents website which their search function is like down right now but if you google search what you're looking for usually they have something and they also break it down via the international phonetic alphabet so i can act and they'll like talk about where the vowel shifts and and i can read that because i was a voice major so i'm like oh this is very helpful i can see what they're doing with the consonants and the vowels and how those shift and then there's also an amazing very expensive textbook that's the dialects of the united states of america and it has it broken down by map, by like phase one or the first vowel shift and the second vowel shift and the third vowel shift. And and there are random cities in the middle of this region that doesn't do this one thing. And I was talking to Ali Shea, who I know you've talked to her. She's lovely, um, where she was talking about um, accuracy versus intelligibility. And how sometimes you have to sacrifice that accuracy in order to be intelligible to the majority of the population. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that's that's very hard for me because it's actually harder to do a light accent than it is to do a heavy accent because you have to have it yes. mastered to then take it back to just a hint like that kind of mastery like that's aspirational so <laughs> yes i'm so pleased you said that you know i've never spoken to somebody about that before but i feel exactly the same way it is it is 10 times harder to do a light a, a light version of an accent to the point where i really struggle and i just mm -hmm. think, can't i just do it can't i just do it? Give yeah, it the full yeah exactly 
or that'll or you'll just suddenly start speaking in a full one you're like no i gotta go back and just like <laughs> just do the southern with just a little bit of an ah instead of an i like yeah. just little little things so that's the other thing too is i will make a list for a character i'm like what aspects of this accent am I going to abide by? I will probably take the most common one or two vowel shifts or, you know, dropping the G on an ING word for the South is generally pretty common. Yeah. So just deciding which of those attributes you want to apply that you can maintain as well and having like a little post-it note that's like, this is what I'm doing here, here, and here. <laughs> so, Have you gotten pretty good then at being able to spot where someone's from pretty pretty quickly? Like, just by listening to them? Yeah. Sometimes? I wouldn't say, like, I I could be like, John, you're from the United Kingdom. But, um, <laughs> or, like, you're American. But then sometimes, yeah. like, I will I will struggle with um, some of the romantic languages. Or, like, if it is a Slavic language, I can usually tell it's got Slavic roots. But I could not necessarily tell you if it was from Croatia yeah. Or you know Bosnia Herzegovina, unless I heard them speaking in their their actual language, mm. and then I'm like, oh, okay, because then I understand where there are different letters, and like, and I have a Russian minor, so I'm like, okay, I know that's not Russian or that is Russian, <laughs> so <laughs> so I can eliminate that. But yeah, I can yeah. regionally sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I, I I will not say I'm an expert on being like oh you're from here like those videos where they're like he listens and he's like oh yeah you're from but I'm like that's insane to me. Yeah, but. yeah. It's, I'm very much the same. I was having a bit of a laugh with another narrator who um because obviously we we do get we do get pretty sort of into like you know when we're learning about accents some things stick. And we were talking about the sort of audiobooks, audiobook narrator's pet peeve of when someone says, I don't have an accent, you know, just in general, you hear that quite a lot and you think, ooh, <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. But you do. <laughs> but you do. You do. So, yeah, exactly. So um, I had the pleasure of, uh, of chatting with you um, at this year's APAC. Um, like, how was APAC for you? Like, do, do you like those like big industry networking events? I know it was like the first one. Uh, since the pandemic um but uh, how did you sort of find that whole event um it was fun but it was also overwhelming um i mean i'm an introvert and so and there were like what 750 of us there yeah. <laughs> so like i i liked it more when there were panels and things going on and you could kind of walk through the crowd and stop and talk to people but some of the mixers i was like oh god there's so many people and we're all screaming at the top of our lungs to be heard but um i mean overall yes like i thought it was very informative i loved meeting people who i've only ever seen in boxes on the internet like <laughs> like, like you like a bunch of my other like book talk tiktok narrator friends like yeah. they're re they're real people and that was that was really really cool yeah. um yeah, yeah. I'm, I think it's really awesome that they're going to be doing alternating years, like virtual mm. in 2024. And then because it's also nice to save money. But yeah. yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, I definitely was like, I need to come home and sleep for a few days. And then PJ dragged right. me to a book festival. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, all right. Because that's what you need to go hang out with more crowds after right. APAC. That's what right. you need. Yeah. <laughs> He's like an yeah, I am um, because I heard from a lot of narrators after um, who found it, you know, good but overpowering, overwhelming. Like you say, um, you know, especially as the first big event, you know, since the pandemic and stuff. I just kind of wonder, like, have you any advice for those who do find themselves like you know overwhelmed in those sort of circumstances, but still wanting to put themselves out there, still wanting to meet people in the industry? Because that's it's a question that I get um, asked to ask guests a lot. Um, you know, from folks who networking doesn't necessarily come naturally to them. They're very much, you know, introverted and stuff, but they still want to go out and meet people, meet new friends, but they find it incredibly intimidating, as I'm sure we can all understand completely. I just kind of wondered if you had any thoughts on that or what you would do to, you know, any, any advice that you would suggest to them? Um, first of all, I'm really bad at networking. Um, incredibly bad. I latched on to an extrovert friend and followed them around. Um, so I recommend that if you can find an extrovert to adopt you, then that's great. Um, the nice thing again about this one is I had already networked a lot online, which is I think easier for a lot of us introverts. So I had I had connections already with people, but for meeting people who are brand new to me, I actually have a very, very difficult time 
with that coming up with something to say something to break the ice um and you know people like at apac they were like don't talk about books and publishing talk about your cat talk about whatever so i mean talk about your shoes and you know um the other thing too is don't be afraid to like take a step out and get your bearings and take a brain break like i walk i walked back up to my hotel room on more than one occasion just to be like yeah okay you know set stuff down and then come back down um when there was the lunch in the hallways we just made sure to sit by people that we didn't know and then kind of inevitably you strike up a conversation because it's just kind of awkward to sit there yeah like hey how's your sandwich great yeah. but you know so you, but you have to find things to talk about you know is this your first APAC? You know, what did you do before? Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but it is hard. I would I would definitely say that I am not an expert. So fair. Well, I think like one of the things you mentioned, um, you know, if, if you sat next to somebody who's, you know, eating your lunch and stuff and you kind of want to strike up a conversation if it's awkward and stuff, nine times out of 10, that person is going to be thanking their lucky stars that you said something because they're just sat on their own too, you know, perhaps a little bit nervous. Um, you know, there was a few occasions where I was sort of, in between conversations and it was kind of that awkward sort of thing and then someone just came up and said something random and I could have hugged them and I was like oh thank you for making conversation with me (laughs) (laughs) absolutely I mean I wear an orange hat so people can just comment on my hat and there there's the there's the the icebreaker (laughs) yeah I was just gonna ask actually so you've created an instantly recognizable (laughs) image that sets you apart you know accompanying your brand with cool hat like, was this like an active decision in your like brand marketing? Because people do know you like, you, you know, you're instantly recognizable in a crowd, you know, with your logo, with your, you know, with your um, name logo, with that, with a hat on it and things like you attribute that to you. That's like fully yours. Like, was that like an active thing that you came up with or did it just sort of happen? Yes. So um, <laughs> I work at a vintage shop one day a week. Right. Um, and I love hats. I was told once by a costume person that I had a face for hats and I decided to take it as a compliment. Yeah. And um, um, and it just kind of went from there. So I have amassed a collection and people are always like, I'm not a hat person. And I'm like, put one on your head. Voila, you are a hat person. Um, <laughs> and so that was just became a thing where I would go to work and I would just wear a hat. And then I, when I was making TikTok videos, I would sometimes be at work or just be out and about wearing a hat. So people started commenting on the hats and then, yeah, I guess it just did kind of become a thing. And then when I did the um, the APA, like speed dating, the quick pitch, um, yeah. and I did the coaching and I mentioned in my pitch that I have like 60 hats. Um, and I was like, you know, I thought about wearing one. And she was like, oh yeah, try it. So on the second ride, I like put on a hat. She was like, yeah, I love it, do that. And then I was thinking about it and I was like, I'm gonna wear my orange hat. One, because it was smaller, so I didn't have to worry about hitting like the oh, yeah, um, shock yeah. mount because the big fedoras, I'm always like, boom, um, hit the shock mount on the microphone, which doesn't look great. But like the little one, I'm like, oh, I can do this. And I do actually have like four orange hats, so it really could have been any of them. But that mm-hmm. one just, that one was right. I don't know. And so, yeah, now I joke. I'm like, I can take this off and I disappear into the crowd like incognito. <laughs> nobody knows who I am. <laughs> But like it's like on is a beacon and off is like I'm a spy. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic idea because you are going to like, I mean, obviously remembered for your fantastic performances, of course. But then like, you know, for people who are meeting you in real life and stuff, I mean, that, I mean, they're not going to forget that which I think was such a, especially at networking events where, you know, producers are talking to so many people. It's like so great to have like a memorable thing. Um, I'm not sure what other people can, you know, I, I was thinking about starting wearing an eye patch or something. You know, so oh, to, yeah. <laughs> you know. Absolutely. Sure I mean, and I like, and I have my cats like in my like kind of comic book full logo as well. And they visit in the booth too. So they are also now a kind of my brand. Like, and I have like a kind, I said that funny, but anyway, they also kind of <laughs> represent my brand, but I have like a business card holder that also has like a white cat on the front. Cause my two boy cats are white. So like yeah. just kind of incorporating everything but it is easier when it's something that you wear versus something like that you sound like or have on your thing or like Mm. I know Zora Johnson like hers is very like 1950s pinup and she kind of did like these curvy business cards and stuff too so yeah Yeah. it's easier when it's something you can see like you can pick an accessory it doesn't I mean like a necklace a big necklace giant earrings something you know 
If you yeah. also want to wear a hat, as long as it's not orange, I'm totally fine. <laughs> if you want to wear a hat, you just can't, it just can't be orange. Yeah, you should copyright that. That's, that's <laughs> I should. <important. laughs> I should. No, they had those hats at APAC, and they were like green and pink and orange, and I was like, oh, no one's going to recognize. Luckily, they took them off because it was just for that mixer, but I was very affronted for a moment. <laughs> One thing that I found at APAC, which it wasn't great for British people, especially if you're trying to give you give you know your your best self forward, is they had free bars everywhere, and they had like you know free liquor, and that is moth to a flame for British people, and it's, <laughs> that's a very dangerous thing to, <laughs> to do. Well, you know, it breaks the ice, right? That's a, that's another thing, you know, liquid courage. Yeah. How yeah. do you get a bunch of introverts to talk to each other? Yeah, exactly. So I read um, that one thing you like to do when not uh, in in the booth is play cooperative board games. Can you tell us a little about that? Because I think that's great. Because you mentioned that competitiveness—that's not in the question. That's not that's not in the conversation. Can you tell us a little bit about where this cooperative board game? Um, can I say hobby like interest? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, both of the, both of those will work. Um, yeah, I. So I have the worst luck in the world um and for one of these board games where we created our own characters and one of the stats is luck minus zero zero one two because it is well known that my luck is terrible um i have really high willpower though to counteract it but um yeah so like whenever i'm playing something like phase 10 monopoly settlers of Catan, something will happen and i get so livid because it's luck based (laughs) and not skill based and it's just not be it's not pleasant for anybody Mm -hmm. so it's just better if I don't play those games. So now I have a massive collection of cooperative board games. And actually uh, my partner, PJ, and my one of our first dates was going to um, a board game shop that's here in Richmond and setting up one and playing. And it's called Arkham Horror. And if you've never played it, then basically it's like, how badly do you lose is kind of Mm -hmm. the goal. Because you're fighting like the ancient ones, right? The ancient horrors, Cthulhu and all of that. we have but one a couple times, but not often. But that was much more fun because you had to like work together. It's a team effort to beat this other thing, hmm. this outside thing. Or if you've ever played Pandemic, same kind of thing. Um, just always this like kind of working together and strategy. And I think we have a couple competitive board games, but we played them once. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That sounds really <laughs> cool, though. <laughs> but yeah, we've spent a lot on cooperative board games. Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven, if you like D and D, and like you can campaign in it, yeah, great. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. In our free time. Yeah. So, what else do you like to get up to when you're not when you're not in the booth recording, when you're not working, um, you know, and and not you know playing cooperative board games? Um, I love the mountains. So mm-hmm. if I can go hike in the mountains, we're about an hour and a half drive from the Blue Ridge, which is nice. Um, Although that said, bugs are always trying to kill me. I'm not a huge fan of the outdoors, but like I, I will garden if it's not, you know, more than 80 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Then I, I might garden. Yeah. Um, I have to go do that actually now, not now, but like eventually. But it's 90 degrees outside, and I don't feel like doing that. So our backyard kind of looks like a witch's cottage. Very, very, very terrible. Yeah. Um, I have, like I said, I play with my cats. Um, yeah. Oh, I'm playing Diablo 4 right now. Oh, <laughs> so there's cool. that. I love video games. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Oh, nice. Fantastic. Yeah. Tick, um, so TikTok, it continues to grow as a space for you know narrators to grow and share their samples and projects, etc. How has TikTok changed the narration game for you? Like, have you noticed like a significant impact on business like since posting regularly? Um. I would say once I hit a thousand followers and was able to go live, mm-hmm. um, most of my business now comes from TikTok, from wow. indie authors on TikTok. Yeah. I do occasionally audition on ACX and I've started doing some work with publishers, but most of my stuff is from authors on TikTok. And um, mm-hmm. I'm very upfront about my rates. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen an influx too of narrators to the social media world especially tiktok which is both good and bad right like i can't do all the books but also i kind of want to do that book that so and so just got so yeah yeah. but no but you know rising tides and all that so yeah yeah it's definitely and i I also think that it's great because it's opening the eyes of authors Mm. to the process and realizing they don't have to spend what companies claim you have to spend 
um, that there are ways to get their books into audio without being with a big five publisher. Mm. I think, yeah, it's great. It's great for entrepreneurs. It's great in general. And you make wonderful friendships with it, too. But mm. yeah, I definitely I wasn't even going to get on it originally. One of my authors was like, Paige, get on TikTok. You'll get work. And I was like, Jen, I'm 30 something years old. I don't need to be on TikTok. OK, like I'm old. And she was like, I'm older than you. Get on TikTok. I was like, fine. And she was right. She was right. So, yeah. like, I'm booked out almost through the end of the year. It was the end of the year, but I, there was a financial cancellation, which it happens, right? That's yeah. what gig work is. But, yeah, I'm booked out almost through the end of the year. Yeah. That's incredible. So, like, do you have, do you talk to authors before? I mean, I, I suppose it'll be kind of be kind of obvious then if they, especially if they found you through tiktok but do you sort of set out like a, a like an agreement between the two of you saying right i will narrate this live i will be you know posting oh, I, this I is like you always know. ask permission always mm. because they own the copyright mm. I, I am providing a service but yeah mm. I, I will not narrate live or clips without written permission from them um because yeah. i mean it's not really creative commons use you see a lot of people using that i'm like that's a real fine line y'all and i am not gonna play <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I, I want it written down. Um, and some will be like, I only want you to do through this chapter or yeah, do the whole book. Like, but um, most of them have said they've also seen an uptick in sales on their like ebook or physical books when I'm narrating live. So it oh, turns cool. out it's this, like mutually beneficial thing. Other yeah. listeners and authors can see me perform. And the author I'm working with is gets more promotional material and marketing yeah. out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Like so, with when like when narrating live, because um, I've never done it because I, I don't yet have um, a thousand followers. Unfortunately, <gasps> cheeky plug if anyone wants to follow. Me. But the um, <laughs> if, I'll make um, it a mission. <laughs> I, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but yeah, no, um, the, the idea of like narrating live, like to me, can seem like a little bit scary, if you will, because like do you know, because in the booth, the only person who has to hear those mistakes are me. And or if they get passed in, my editor has to hear them. And I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I'd be sort of too bothered about, you know, to tell self-conscious at how I look in the camera, that kind of thing. Like, did you did you sort of go through any of that? Or were you always like pretty like, you know, it was just like being on stage where you think, right, I'm performing now. I'm working. This is what I do. And that's just it. Oh, I was terrified on stage, too. There's always the stage <laughs> leading up to it. And then once I'm on stage, yeah. it's fine. But yeah. um. No, I mean, and there are still days where I'm narrating live and like my headspace just isn't there. And I'm like, I need to not have people looking at me. Mm. And that's fine. I mean, that's fine. And I'll just, mm. if there are people watching me, because sometimes I don't have anybody watching that I can see. They might be lurking, but maybe I don't see them. I'm just going to be like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go for now. So yeah, like no one's forcing you, but I will say that everybody, for the most part, there are always trolls, is generally very positive and very mm. uplifting and if I make mistakes, you know, they're seeing the process. They're realizing mm -hmm. also that those scam videos of like, you just sit and talk into your phone in your bed and, you know, you don't make any errors and then you get paid a thousand dollars per And it's like, no, no, yeah. that's not what this is. So I think, I think actually watching us make mistakes is, well, one, it can be funny, but two, <laughs> like also like open again, just kind of opens up everybody's eyes to the whole process and like, if yeah. you punch and roll and just yeah just they're like oh like this is not as easy as people claim it is so yeah because i must admit from watching um your lives and you mentioned ali shea earlier was watching some of uh her lives um i found even though i i know the process and i know the experience just blown away by by how just how great you are <laughs> just how like it's you're... intimidating right yeah. to go watch other people and you're like well why am i here but you know they're <laughs> thinking that about you too right it's again it's such an awesome community and yeah. there's also just no expectation like i love going live but sometimes i just don't sometimes i'm just like yeah. i can't i can't deal with it right now and i need to focus if i'm having a real bad time with an accent i'm like I got to go because everyone's watching me and I'm like, I'm supposed to be all good at accents. And here's this Minnesota one that I am just failing at. I need to leave. Like yeah. you, you set your own boundaries on, on the clock app on any social media for that matter. So if you're yeah. not comfortable, don't do it. Like PJ's not particularly comfortable, even though he's been on stage his whole life, but he's like, mm. I redo things 17 times and nobody mm. wants to sit through that. I'm like, well, some people do, but if yeah. you don't want to go live, don't go live. Yeah. 
I think that's such an important thing. And I think sometimes we can forget that, um, you know, because we sort of feel like, oh, people are liking it. I must perform more. I must, you know. (laughs) So I think that's really important. When you do, um, you know, your your normal videos, when they're not like the pre-recorded videos, because they bring, you know, great advice, comfort, knowledge, humour, you know, entertainment, education, everything to so many people. And it, like, do you plan out your content, you know, your content ideas, etc., like in advance? Or do you just sort of wake up, this has happened to me, I'm going to talk about this today. Like how kind of rigid is your social media plan? Um, not rigid at all. No. Like I don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm like, sometimes I will reach like a dead zone where I'm like, I don't really have anything to talk about. Like mm. when stuff's going down, when like the AI thing was big or I can only talk about the ACX contract so many times. Yeah. Um, now I'm like, well, now what do I do? And that's where I'm like, maybe I'm just going to go to this live that I did because, you know, they record them so you can download the replay. Mm. And so you can pull clips from the replay and sometimes I'll just post those mm. or, you know, sometimes it's just random. Sometimes it has nothing to do with narration because the other cool thing about social media is they're getting to know you as a person. Mm. So sometimes it's just my cats. Sometimes it's me yelling at a bulldozer in the next door neighbor's yard. Like, (laughs) but no, I don't, I don't have it planned out. I'm not that person with like 300 drafts of things to talk about. Occasionally something will come up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to write that down, do research and talk about it because that is a huge thing for me. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure what I am saying is accurate. I don't like these kind of rage farming takes mm-hmm. that I see that are just designed to get views and engagement and may or may not be based in fact or only have partial information. Like I want all of the information. If I don't have it, then I'm very, very, I try to be yeah. very cognizant about saying I don't have all the information. Yeah. But mostly, like, my platform is mostly about, like, information um, because that's tends to be what I excel in is, like, research and that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, other people have bloopers. And, like, I get so flustered when I make a mistake that I don't keep the bloopers. I immediately record over <laughs> them. So I'm just like, yeah. well, you know, so people are like, I want bloopers. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't keep them. They just... I just keep going. I got a job yeah. to do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. just not creative to come up with stories and I don't have the patience to do like the pretty video editing. So I'm like, what you see is me in a booth. Occasionally I've showered. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Well, just, I think you just have them. to be yourself on social media and it's kind of, and first find out what you yeah. like to talk about. Yeah. Like I get a lot of, I get a lot of questions again to ask people um to ask our guests on this show about like kind of how important is it to get yourself out there as a narrator especially in those early days where you, you know you're trying to get work you're trying to get that experience you're trying to get the you know the hours in the in the booth like how important do you feel getting on something like tiktok you know at least putting some content out there like because i i think that's pretty vital in this day and age right Right. The industry is so saturated right now that when you see those, you know, those 200 to 400 auditions pop up on ACX, everybody Mm. is going for those, you know? Um, So what is it? Yes, you can differ yourself absolutely by your audition, you know. Um, But the nice thing about establishing a presence on social media is kind of what I said earlier, they're getting to know you. They're getting to know whether or not they want to work with you. And it's very different than kind of how it has been in the past, I assuming, because, you know, I've only been doing this for like two years, a little mm. less. So like people being like, oh, don't worry, but don't talk to your author about that. Don't do that. I'm like, well, if that works for you, great. But I am very much about collaborating with mm. a collaboration, collaborating with my authors. And I have friendships like I have many of them on text. And we don't necessarily talk about just the audiobook. Like mm-hmm. now they're friends. Um, and that started before I necessarily was getting their contract, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm friends with people who I may never get their contract because they have a different narrator, but that's okay because they might recommend me for something else. Mm-hmm. And also it's just a friendship, which is really, really nice. But I think, I definitely think establishing yourself, and I have heard that some of the bigger publishers are looking to see what your presence looks like. Um, but I will also say this, don't worry about the view count or how many followers you have. 
the engagement is what matters more. Like your like follower to engagement ratio mm -hmm. is more important than the number of people who see the video. Because be just because you have a video that goes viral and hits what, I don't know, 25,000 views, it may be by people who will never have anything to do with you again. Mm -hmm. But if you constantly have people who are fans, who are friends interacting, they are more likely who you're going to work with anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think that's such I, a I good think point. we get bogged down on the numbers versus, and yeah, views are not the same thing as engagement. Yeah. And the engagement is more important. Yeah. So to get that engagement up then, is that where the making sure that you are authentic, making sure that you are responsive and are a re your real self is that is that where that sort of comes in? I, <laughs> I phrased so. that I mean, really I'm, weird. <laughs> so. I'm not a marketing expert like at all. Yeah. I'm just telling you like this is my this is my experience. And also yeah. you can't just throw stuff up there and go away. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a member of a community, then you need to be a member of the community. Mm -hmm. You know, go and interact with your other narrator friends. Go and interact with authors with the expectation of nothing that you mm -hmm. will get nothing out of it, but actually engage with people so that you become a personality that people kind of gravitate and want to talk to. Again, mm -hmm. it may come to nothing financial, but it might. Yeah. There's an, And then also you've established amazing relationships along the way. Yeah. So. Oh, absolutely. I resonate with that so much. I think like, because the biggest thing that I've I have for you know the engaging in the community that just catapulted my enjoyment of this craft mm -hmm. is is getting to know other narrators and authors just just as friends you know just getting yeah. more friends and things it's just amazing and then you go to something like APAC and you actually get to meet them and hang out for like the first time and stuff it's just yeah I think it's just amazing just for that you know yeah you have you have inherent interests already like that yeah. are the same you already have a ton of stuff to talk about so now it's just a question of meeting them and talking about it with them yeah. and yeah the, the the business part very important not knocking it but not the be all and end all and not necessarily the purpose for having social media mm. It, yeah. It's a build, it's a building block, but there's other things too. Like you still need to do your training and you still need to know how to work everything. Like it's not just about engaging. It's not just about interfacing. That's just part of it. Yeah, absolutely. What is a, a typical working day in the life for you? Would you mind just walking us through what what a typical day in the office looks like? Uh, recently, because it mm. changes. Um, recently, the past couple of weeks, it's been getting up at 5 a.m. Um, I have my coffee maker programmed to start brewing at 4.50 so it's ready when I come downstairs. Um, I grab a protein bar, my first cup of coffee, and I go into the front room because my boys, the boy cats, are inevitably yowling about being in the front room all night, which has to happen because the other cat will not. She's a drama queen. Anyway, um, <laughs> we wouldn't sleep if they were out. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. So I go in and I spend about 15 minutes, 20 minutes playing with them and also kind of warming up, talking to them, lip trills, et cetera. And mm. I come back in here and I narrate probably until about eight. Mm -hmm. So usually starting around 5.30, 5.45, and I narrate till about eight. And that's kind of when like the morning rush starts. Mm -hmm. And also when my stomach starts growling. And it's usually the time when I have to let out the boys so that they can eat, et cetera. Um, from there, it completely varies. It, it really does depend on my neighborhood because I live in the city and really loud bass and revving cars are a thing around here. Um, today was great. Today and yesterday were great. I got a lot done. I came back in at like 10, 1030 and narrated for another couple hours. And yesterday yeah. I got an hour and 40 minutes of recorded audio. Today I got a little over two hours. Nice. Um, if I can't, then I'm usually prepping a book. <laughs> like yesterday I spent the afternoon prepping the book. Um, a new book, I should say. Um, or, you know, I'll play Diablo for a little bit, do yeah. a workout occasionally in there. Just kind of, I, yeah, I definitely have to listen to my surroundings before. So mm. I, I'm, it's not typical, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> I wish it was because people are always like, I always miss your lives. And I'm like, well, they aren't scheduled. So, yeah. Yeah. How is it like, like how is narrating that early in the morning for you like did you because it always takes me like a couple hours to like come round and my voice to sort of get to a point where it, like you know it's consistent even with some like warm-ups and stuff I'm sort of usually groggy and coughing for the first <laughs> for the first hour of the day and stuff like is that like do you find are you comfortable narrating that early in the morning you know even you know once you've done your warm-ups and everything like that once um once I started getting enough sleep beforehand Mm. 
because uh, there was a time back in February where I was having to get up at that time, but I wasn't going to bed till like 11 Mm. Or because I was doing something else that required I'd be up that early. So then my voice was scratchy for a real, really mm. long time, like an hour, hour and a half after I would get up. But now, like, it's pretty good. It's a little lower. And so oftentimes I might start off, honestly, with an audition mm. and then go into the book. Yeah. But um, the book I was narrating now, I mean, she talks down here anyway. So talking down here first thing in the morning is no problem. Yeah. It's actually harder later in the day because then my voice starts to pitch up and get a little less of that rasp. Yeah. So I get yeah. that. It's first thing if it's first thing I'll try to record is like some sort of romance audition where it's like yeah. a deep gravelly guy. <laughs> yes. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> or do like do I have a villain because I have my like manly role in the morning kind of thing. <laughs> like now is the perfect time to yeah. narrate that the guy if it's like a duel or something. I'm like, all right, let's do his lines right now. <laughs> <laughs> You like, if, you I, can. if it's an audition, you're like, if I get this book, I'm going to just have to do it in 15 minute bursts at the start of every you know, day. <laughs> you know, or like maybe in the space of the audition, they'll hear your voice change and just rise a little bit. But yeah, yeah. It's it harder evolves. for me to do like a high pitched bubbly person first thing in the morning. And I know it's hard to tell, but like you would never guess, but I don't get cast in that often. <laughs> Fair <No>. enough. <laughs> <laughs> What's the best place for people to keep up with you and make sure that, you know, they're following everything you're getting up to? Uh, probably TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they get rid of that, because, you know, that's always rumored. I am on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I have a website. I'll be around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. And I'm sure that's the thing, isn't it? It's like social media. It, I don't know. It seems sort of in the, you know, because you have the thing with TikTok and then Twitter. I have no clue what Twitter's doing right now. Oh, I, it's I don't we always touch Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's what well, to be honest is that my engagements just dropped because obviously they had that verified thing where you know you pay the monthly subscription and then they, they you know that sort of boosts the posts and because oh. I don't really want to do that like my engagements like halved. It's very annoying after you spent so much time trying to build something up. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, that grosses me out. I mean, that's but yeah. that's the issue with TikTok too. Is it's like it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. They decide that they are not pushing your video out. There's nothing mm. you can do about it. Because yeah. they'll come back and be like, oh, no, you can't promo that. Why not? Because eh, we said so. Oh, okay. Mm. No, it is what it is. And that's, that's I think, why they talk about um, posting more than once per day and just that kind of thing. And I will take my TikTok reels and just put them over on Instagram <laughs> and then on yeah. Facebook. And I'm like, cool, I'm done. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I won't touch, I don't touch Twitter with, like, a yeah. 10-foot pole. I'm like, nope, nope. Yeah. I don't blame you. <laughs> no, I think... it's already so much to keep up with that having to do yeah. like four or five, I'm like, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. I think it's better to do like a few well and consistent than have like every single platform possible and then post like once a month. Agreed. Um, you know, yeah. So okay. I'd love to um, I'd love to end the show by simply asking if you have any upcoming projects, upcoming things that you're excited about that we can look forward to. Ooh, I have so many. How do I narrow it down? <laughs> um, so I like to say I'm multi-genre, right? Like, you know, people mm-hmm. are like, oh, I love romance. That's all I want to do. Props to them. That's not all I want to do. I want to do everything, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I've been on kind of like a romance bender for a little bit. But next week I get to narrate a horror novella oh, with nice. demons. And I'm so excited. Yeah. And then after that, I have a Christian historical romance. <laughs> 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 you know, it is what it is. But then after that, I have um, a vampire paranormal romance. And then after that, I have a psychological horror. So I'm super excited that I'm getting to like, I'll mix it up. Like I get bored narrating the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Not to say that all romance is the same, but the same genre, you know, the same yeah, like, yeah. ever after. I'm like, no, sometimes I want a demon <laughs> and I want like no romance involved. Like summon the demon, destroy the demon, please. Or don't, who knows? I mean, yeah, I just, I'd like to mix it up. Oh, definitely. I'm, I'm so with you on that one. I don't get, I don't do nonfictions that much anymore, but I went through a, a weird, I don't know what happened last year, but I ended up doing sort of about 50-50 nonfiction. Oh, nice. um, and uh, yeah, and I felt like, oh, this is great. I'm going to learn so much. I'm going to be like the smartest guy who's ever existed. And then I just forgot everything. <laughs> as soon as it left, went, just... Oh. I did a 15-hour, it was like holistic cancer treatments book. Okay. And I was like, 
I was like, oh, I, I actually used to write grants for cancer at like a medical school. Like, I'm good. I'm so cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I joked it was a hazing ritual. <laughs> the amount of like pronunciations and things that I had to look up. And then, oh, my gosh, you were talking earlier about my pickups and how I have none. No, I had almost like 300 for this book. Fez. Fez. Because, because I said some, I said curcumin and it was supposed to be curcumin. And that word shows up in that book. I like 75 times and I said them wrong and I I looked it up and I think I wrote it down wrong because I did look it up. I had it written in like in my script. Oh my gosh. And I was like, okay, so nonfiction's really hard. It's really hard. I don't know that I like nonfiction, but no, it was it was a fun learning experience, even if I was like afterwards just completely brain dead. I think yeah. I took like a week off afterwards. I was like, whoo, that was <laughs> that was a lot. I'll, I'll take some romance right now. You can bring it back. <laughs> well, that's so. it. I think like because it usually so I was doing like romance nonfiction, romance nonfiction. It got like so confuddled and stuff. I was reading like an interview extract in a nonfiction, and then like just like subliminally going like, when are they gonna kiss? When are they gonna like stop? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> or you say it and you're like, mm, that curcumin. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Wrong, yeah. wrong. Yeah, you do it seductively. Yes, exactly. I mean, hey, maybe more people will listen to holistic cancer treatments if that's how you do it, right? Maybe so. I think it's worth the uh, worth the experiment. But it was fun. It was fun to learn about the different herbs and like what they yeah. could do. Like even cancer treatment aside, just the like mm. the science behind the chemicals and stuff in it. But yes, note pro tip to everybody: just because you used to write cancer grants doesn't mean you can say all the chemicals. <laughs> And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did a book at just at the start of the year. It was no, it wasn't. It was the end of last year. It was just before Christmas um, on Lyme's disease, and um, I was prepped right. And I had you know big family dinner and stuff all ready for Christmas. And then I, I had all these facts about the disease in my head, and I was telling everybody around it. And I thought, oh, this isn't <laughs> fun for them. Just... I would have found it fascinating, but I was doing the same thing with the cancer book. I was like, come out and be like, did you know that reishi mushrooms do this thing? Yeah. Fascinating. You become an expert for like the duration of the book. And then afterwards you're like, I have no idea yeah. what I read about reishi mushrooms. I just remember there were reishi mushrooms. Yeah. It's like I'm running around Tesco. That's our local supermarket. Running around our local supermarket trying to find turmeric. And then go like, well, I need it. It's great for everything. It's <laughs> so... great for everything. It is because it has the compound curcumin in it, by the way. And it's an is anti-inflammatory. It... Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I do remember some things. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, mixing that up with the romance and the horror and yeah. Oh, and then I get to go to, I'm going to a couple more book festivals, which oh, will be cool. fun. So. Cool. Do you get to like meet, you know, do you go with authors? Do you get to meet like, you know, the listeners and things like how does that, how do those events kind of work? Yeah, uh, it's an excellent question. Um, I've only gone as a guest before, like as like a reader, like attendee, but they're yeah, yeah. great for networking. I went to Imaginarium in May and like met some really cool people, bought a lot of books um, <laughs> and some people I may end up working for. And if not, I have a lot of cool books. Yeah. Um, and then so again, in July, we're kind of going as like attendees to meet authors, et cetera. And then um, the one in September, I'm still waiting to hear back on whether or not we get a table. Mm -hmm. which would be and then we're like oh shoot what am I going to sell like because that was something else that was coming up with like because now they're inviting more and more narrators but it's like what do we bring yeah because like authors you can sell books like I can't sell you the audiobook because it's probably exclusive on audible um yeah. or something like that like it's not my property to sell so the discussion yeah. becomes like what can we I mean stickers right stickers pens yeah, much. But yeah. what else so we're talking to um, one of my, if we get the table, I'm going to contact one of my authors who I've narrated a lot for and be like, hey, can you send me some of your books? And like, I will sell them at the table, but maybe with the audiobook promo code inside for like maybe a yeah. random five people or maybe yeah. do some kind of bundled giveaway of audiobooks where I do actually buy them the books. You yeah. know, if, but if they enter my raffle for like five bucks or something like that, then you have a chance to win this bundle of however many, you know. Yeah. So it's an interesting. So I have no idea what to expect. I know that, you know, I think readers take Denver and Love and Vegas have like a narrator's alley. But mm. 
I'm not the Bordeaux's. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Is> that... <laughs> so, like, I don't think anybody would be signing up to be like, oh, we need Paige Reisenfeld's signature someday, maybe, I hope. But, yeah, I'm not, you know, Teddy yeah. Hamilton. I'm not <laughs> Lesser Lamb. Do you know, I was just going to say, it's so funny you mentioned Teddy. I had, um, so Teddy was the episode that came out um, for the listeners came out last week um, oh. for you and I, the episode that comes out on Friday. Um, I was talking to Teddy Hamilton. He mentioned uh, going to all of these events, you know, and, and the one in Vegas in October. I think that's the, is that the Love in Vegas one? I think so, yeah. Um, yeah. And like he was saying, oh, you should come, you should come and uh you know, like hang out and meet people and stuff. And it's like, well, it's okay for you with your 10,000 Legion strong army of fans <laughs> right. who actually want to talk to you. <laughs> and like, actually, like, want to spend time. I was like, I don't know what I would do. Like, I would just have to spend the entire time explaining, like, who I was and why I was there to the security guards, probably, to let me in. <laughs> like, right? Right? Or like, I'd be like at the corner, like, hey, I, I, I yeah. yeah, I just feel like it'd be. It'd be awkward. I don't know. But um, then we're looking at ones next year where we might actually do a panel. Like I'm talking to coordinators about actually doing a panel at some yeah. of these things about either the audiobook process or one of the ones we're talking about is specifically talking about like dual and duet yeah. um, because it's a romance convention. So it kind of makes sense. Right. Like oh, that's, that's a great idea. The prevalency of that. Um, because it's also, it's for the authors and for the listeners, but imparting mm. information for people who aren't on social media. So that's another way to kind of go. And even if yeah. you aren't signing things, you're still contributing to the community. Yeah. Do like a little live reading Q and a little presentation sort of thing. Yeah. I think that'd and be can, great you could, fun. Yeah. You could tailor it too, for whatever the convention is. Like, is it sci-fi and fantasy? You can talk about, I don't know, I'll come up with something, but like coming up with like alien voices and that kind yeah. of stuff you know when they're described as having weird you know fluty whistling tones like how yeah. do you do that um like in project hail mary when they were talking about how the guy how the spider alien speaks in musical tones yeah. and how they did that for the audiobook to yeah. translate it but still add the, like that kind of cool stuff yeah um or yeah horror like how do you I don't know, the differences between narrating horror and romance. There's not really many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, like, or like pacing and that kind of thing, how like you need to slow things down because that's what builds that tension, like versus yeah. being fast for an action scene. Like you could completely tailor these panels, these Q and A's for where you are. Yeah. Um, and I say all this, like I've done it and I have not done any of it yet. So it's <laughs> it a could great be a idea. failure. No, it's a great idea. I think, I think they're missing a trick by not doing it now. You just said that I'm sold. <laughs> Hey. <laughs> I'll be on the front row. Excellent, excellent. We'll we'll zoom you in. Be like oh, John yeah. gets this seat right here. He said so. <laughs> Put me on a little iPad on the front thing. Yeah, that's yes. me. <laughs> we'll have you up there. I'll just bring like my phone and be like, he's right here. He has things to contribute. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. I'm just nodding enthusiastically. I agree that's with fun. everything. <laughs> we love enthusiastic agreement. Good, because that's that's all I bring to the table most times. I that's think. not true. You narrate <laughs> books. <laughs> and you narrated an American accent while Ali Shay did a British one. Is that does that make you that right? That is true. Yeah, I felt so bad because I was because um I was responsible for for throwing that on her, and I felt very uh, so because I said oh, okay, there's a character who's English and a you know a character who's American, just assuming it would be me who's English and and, and Ali who was American, and then finding out pretty much right at the last minute that it was actually switched and then it was like oh yeah by the way you have to narrate this full book in you know so I felt I felt bad but Ali smashed it um, oh yeah you yeah, know as you, as you would expect um you know from Ali because they're absolutely great um but yeah that whole experience albeit very funny and you know a nice little tale to tell was so enjoyable and you know working with Ali and and you know developing that little friendship that we have you know it started off from that and then um they came on the show and then we met at APAC and stuff it was just yeah it was just amazing yeah um, yeah and see and so now you have a story to tell about a dual <laughs> or duet romance book see you can contribute yeah. <laughs> and why this stuff is important and why we need to ask authors exactly what they want <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for um for for taking the time to to talk to me today um i i so really do appreciate it. it's been an absolute blast this has flown by um for me i hope it's <laughs> i hope it hasn't slugged for you um, oh no no it's been so much fun and again i talk too much so i appreciate you like <laughs> <No, no. laughs> 
the rambling. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, well, that just about brings us to a close uh, for this episode of the Audiobook Club. All of the links to Paige's social media and recent projects will be linked in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And of course, another huge, huge thank you to you, Paige, for joining us. Thank you so much. No, thank you for having me. Frustrated by the royalty rates for your audiobook? Annoyed that when the digital distributors say 70% royalties, they actually mean 70% of 50% or 80% of 70%, neither of which is an actual 70%. Wishing there was a way to cut out the middleman? Yet, you want your audiobook listeners to have a smooth and positive experience, and a direct download sale from your website won't deliver that. We at Pro Audio Voices hear you. Out of our commitment to our author clients, we've created Amplify, a program that provides an actual 65% of the sales price that you set, that gives you access to your customers' names and emails so you can reconnect with them, and keeps you in the driver's seat. Check it out at ProAudioVoices.com. You'll find Amplify in the marketing menu. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Audiobook Club. This episode was sponsored by Pro Audio Voices. If you have a story you want to bring to life, head over to ProAudioVoices.com to get in touch with industry professionals that can take care of every step of production, as well as offer support and guidance with marketing, growing your brand, and boosting your sales. Once again, that's ProAudioVoices.com. Thanks for listening.